Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. But the panic stretch which those folks out in Bloomington decided to make a delightful T-shirt about a guy, oh, by the way, putting the ball on the chalk out of bounds before he hit the pylon. So let's just back up. I want to say that the dude didn't score. Oh, pay dirt! Pay dirt! Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Pay Dirt Podcast. I'm Tom Hannafin. He is Matt McGloin. Penn State is 4-0, currently ranked number 6 overall in the country and we are now heading back into the remainder of the Penn State schedule after after the Big Ten schedule that is after beating Villanova 38 to 17 in what many thought should have been an absolute blowout crushing the Wildcats from the FCS and while the score kind of looked that way it's a little deceiving this was a relatively unimpressive victory against an inferior opponent we're going to dive into what the expectations were for the game against Villanova versus what actually happened against the Wildcats in picking up the win plus we are going to look ahead to what I have coined the beginning of the revenge tour for what happened in 2020 Penn State hosts Indiana this coming Saturday at Beaver Stadium Sweet, merciful vengeance <laughs> for the panic stretch. I cannot wait. So before we dive into all that, we are back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back to start another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season with a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests. Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use promo code NFL100. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. The Pater Podcast is presented by Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. So, Tom, I don't know if you've heard, but apparently former NBA player Lamar Odom may be returning to professional basketball in Spain soon. Oh, I've heard. Uh, apparently, he's going to try out for Paul Gasol's team. He's been taking Ooh. a new product, and uh, he owes the credit to. It's called Balance 7. Balance 7 is a pH balancing alkaline supplement drink. It's like vitamins or supplements in liquid form. Just one ounce a day, three times a day, and in a week, you'll see the effects. Yeah, you know, look, obviously, it's tough. Getting older as an athlete, you need to find things that work for you, whether it's spending more time in the recovery room, more time in the in the weight room, stretching, more time in the training room, or taking products like Balance 7. You can see how Balance 7 has really helped someone like Lamar Odom. And right now, if you go to balance7.com and use the promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, 
you'll get $10 off their 32-ounce bottle. The bottle lasts 11 days, which is the perfect amount of time to feel the pH balancing drink go to work. Again, that's balance7.com and use the code BELIEVE at checkout. I did. And if it worked for him, it can work for you too. All right. Now, I don't want to squash all the positivity that is winding down September because Penn State is 4-0. and And Matt, when you and I first started this podcast back in August, I had projected that Penn State potentially finished September at 2-2. Two and two. I'd be the first to admit, didn't have a ton of faith in the Nittany Lions going into Wisconsin and then hosting Auburn. However, they have pleasantly surprised us all. But now there is a gauntlet of a Big Ten schedule remaining, uh, both home and away. There really don't appear too many gimmies left on the schedule. Mm-hmm. And this Villanova game at home felt like one of them. Now, we didn't spend a ton of time talking about Villanova in our last episode. And it's, again, no disrespect to the Wildcats, but this is an FCS opponent. Penn State ranked number six in the country just based on the athletes that Penn State is able to recruit. This should have been a blowout. Credit to the Wildcats. We knew they were a stingy, tough, resilient team coming in. They were ranked number seven in the FCS at the time of the game against Penn State. And they're going to win a lot of games in CAA and probably make some noise in postseason play for FCS. So I'm not making any apologies for Penn State, but credit to Villanova for what they're able to do. 38 to 17. On paper, if you're just a fan looking at the scroll at the bottom of the screen, Matt, it looks good. And you look at some of the statistics, and some of them are pretty eye-popping. Sean Clifford, 400 yards passing, 19 of 26. And at the same time, he also, congratulations go out to Sean Clifford. He ended the day moving into second all-time for passing touchdowns for a Nittany Lion quarterback. Uh, He did pass yourself, Matt, in the process, and former Penn State quarterback Christian Hackenberg. So he now is 49 overall. He's second only to Trace McSorley, who has 70. So that is very cool. Congratulations go out to Sean. Um, Let's start with Clifford. What did you think of the day he had? Because it felt good, but it was also kind of like, what's going on? Well, I'm glad they let him get to 400 yards passing, right? That's a big mark to hit. You know, it's a great accomplishment. And, you know, when I see that mark hit in college football, you know, especially at Penn State now, you know, I think back to, uh, you know, my senior year. And real quick, Tom, funny story. So Indiana, we had Indiana at home. And I didn't know I was closing in on 400 yards. I think I finished the day with like 395 or, or something like that, you know. And I didn't know this had happened. Like word got back to me that this happened, that like all the assistant coaches on the sideline were saying to themselves, like, hey, should we tell Bill? Should we tell O'Brien that Matt only needs five yards for 400? Like, do, do we tell him to, to let him get it? And uh, I guess one of the coaches told him and O'Brien was like, I don't care how many yards he needs. That doesn't matter. Uh, you know, which is funny looking back now, Tom, but like at, at Beaver State in Penn State, when I played, they didn't show stats on, on the screen. Right. You know, so you didn't know how many yards you had. What we had, you know, the game was pretty much over at that point in the fourth quarter when I was still in. And had I known that I needed five yards, I would have absolutely called my own play. I would have just went quick game. I would have just <laughs> say, oh, yeah, I thought they were changing coverage, so I had to check to a pass. I would have yeah. definitely oh, tried to oh, get 400 yards. I couldn't hear yards. you. Yeah, it's just, exactly. I, oh, yeah. no. So, yeah, to this day, I'm still mad that I didn't get that 400-yard mark. But, again, congratulations to Sean Clifford. That's a big day and a big performance. And he's playing mistake-free football right now. Obviously, the, the interception wasn't his fault. Lambert Smith needs to catch the football, right? Um, but you look at just the way the game started. First play of offense, 
the touchdown to Dotson. I mean, awesome. That is what you do in that game. You set the tone early. Villanova, you're not here to compete. You're here to get beat down. And Jahad Dotson just runs right past the quarterback. And it, it, it was not many times you get to just take your drop and launch the football downfield for completion. It's like throwing on air. I mean, that's as easy as it gets for a quarterback and a wide receiver. He's just, he's developing so much better each and every week. You know, we've talked a lot about blitzes and pressures and stuff like that. What does he do in those situations? And there was a big play in the fourth quarter. Villanova brought pressure. What does Clifford do? He just drifts, drifts just a little bit, very subtle in the pocket, gets the ball to Parker Washington. And that speed and explosiveness after the catch is insane. And, you know, he took it for, for a touchdown. It's just, if he can keep playing like that for Penn State, you, you can't look at him like a possession wide receiver anymore, right? He, he's not that. He's really developing into a, a big-time player. He made one of the best throws I've ever seen him make. You know, and this is the second time I'm saying this now, right? We, we talked about That's it. It's awesome to hear. Yeah, it is. And we, we talked about it, I think, last week or the week before. And it was the, the throw and catch, that big explosive touchdown to Parker Washington. It was a sloppy post route. The ball's on time. You know, Tom, and as a quarterback, when throwing routes like that, you envision your wide receiver holding a picture frame, right? And your job is to hit that picture frame. And, dude, when he threw it, like, if there was a picture frame there, he shattered it, mm -hmm. right? You cannot throw a football better than that. He doesn't make that throw in 2019. Certainly doesn't make that throw last year. Very, very impressive day. Very impressive performance. Yeah, he finishes the day 19 of 26. In regards to his receivers, as you mentioned, Parker Washington had a huge day, five catches for 148 yards, two touchdowns, a long of 67. You mentioned Jahan Dotson opening up the festivities with a 52-yard touchdown. He finished the day with seven catches for 117 yards. Keandre Lambert-Smith is starting to come into his own, 88 yards receiving, two catches and a touchdown, as you mentioned, the pick that ultimately bounced off his hands. He's going to be a nice player for Penn State down the line. It's just a matter of reps. Well, how about, well, Tom, real quick, how about the yeah. play? Uh, he fell down, Clifford yes. scrambling. He gets back up and, and has that big play. And Again, going back to Sean Clifford, it's a great job by, by Lambert-Smith, but going back to Sean Clifford, remaining a passer. Right. Mm -hmm. Last year, he probably tucks that and runs it. Yes. But he's outside the pocket. Oh, 100%. Outside the pocket, still trying to create attack in the line of scrimmage. And Lambert Smith scores on what should have been nothing. But now, you know, it's a touchdown because of those two working together and keeping the play alive. And Clifford's got wide receivers who really, really understand coverages. You could see mm -hmm. throughout the game. Granted, it's Villanova. We'll put it into perspective. Dotson, Washington, Lambert Smith all were able to sit down in zones and just make those little movements here and there to help out Clifford. On the flip side, you talked about it a little bit. Clifford was excellent at movement in the pocket, movement outside of the pocket, not to advance the ball beyond the line of scrimmage, but just to buy time. And frankly, the disappointing thing is that he had to. Clifford was sacked three times against the Villanova Wildcats. And I said it last week, and I, this might just be me being a fan and somebody who plays too much Madden, but I'm like, <laughs> why in the hell is Sean Clifford playing into the fourth quarter when we all see his right arm is taped up, bandaged up, he's got a pad, he's got a sleeve, he's clearly shaking it through the game against Villanova, it was injured against Auburn. There were design runs called for him. We understand the gap. We all saw Taquan Roberson a little bit against Ball State. We saw him at the end of Villanova. Why in the world did this offensive line, A, not do a better job in pass protection, and B, 
why was Sean Clifford put in so many dangerous positions? Yeah, I think you said it perfectly about those designed runs for him kind of late in that game. I'm not sure what they were trying to accomplish, but they couldn't run the football at that point. So I kind of feel like they're trying to get something. We'll get to that. Going with Clifford there. I said it last week, Tom, if they don't stay ahead of the sticks, right, they can't live in those third and long situations against better competition. So it's like, so it's like when you take a shot on first down and it's incomplete, they can't run the football. Like you have to go quick game. You have to go back to that screen game. Third and longs are not great for this offensive line or for these, these offensive tackles. You look at and a perfect example of that is what happened before the half, right? It's a second and seven. There's a minute 30 left sack third and long against a three man rush. You should have all day to throw the football. Another sack. You need some type of points there. You had fantastic field position. It's just the situational football needs to improve. I mean, and they're fortunate that they have a guy that is as athletic as Sean Clifford is. I mean, you look at that one play he made. You mentioned playing late in the game. He's rolling right in the fourth quarter to avoid the rush. That pass on the sideline on Villanova sideline to Dotson. Awesome. He drops that right in. Like what's what what you don't see what's so hard about that throw. As a right-handed quarterback, you're rolling right. The ball's naturally going to tail right. So to be able to kind of throw it to where it just tails and drops right in, I mean, he made it look effortless, and it's not. That's a difficult throw to make, Tom. He's really come into his own this season, and it's one of the reasons that he's on the short list, or I guess he would call it the long list, of Heisman mm-hmm. potentials, and I don't want to jump the gun by any means for anybody listening to this. He deserves to be I, there. He deserves it, to be yeah, there. Yeah, he's maybe, uh, I've seen a lot of different odds makers put him in top 10 or 15, mm-hmm. and, and, that, and that's fine. Yep. Sean Clifford's probably not going to win the Heisman this year. One thing that I find mildly disrespectful is that even though Jahan Dotson is not statistically the leading receiver in college football, there's guys like Drake London, one of the dudes at UCLA is having a fantastic year. His name escapes me. Is Jahan Dotson the best wide receiver in college football? You have to put him in you know, the conversation. He definitely deserves to be there. But I can also argue he's not even the best wide receiver in the Big Ten. And that's not a knock on Jahan Dotson because he's a fantastic player. It's just the wide receiver spot in the Big Ten. It's deep, right? Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave from Ohio State, David Bell from Purdue, who who is injured. They're going to see this guy this week from Indiana, Ty Freifogel, has played a ton of football and has made a lot of big plays. I've had the opportunity to call two games for the Big Ten Network for Maryland, right? Rakeem Jarrett is a fantastic player. He reminds me a lot of Jahad Dotson, the way he plays. Dante Demas is having a massive breakout year, 6'3", 220, who runs. It can stretch the field incredible. He's really impressed me this year. The the Big Ten is stacked with wide receivers. Dotson's definitely top four in the Big Ten, top five. You could argue he's top 12, top 10, probably, in the nation. You know, a fantastic player. And again, like I mentioned it earlier, the better Parker Washington becomes and the more he's able to do, that helps Jahad Dotson because teams can't solely focus on him. Just a comment from me on the Heisman uh, odds makers. It just seems kind of like a big question mark right now. I think Matt Corral right now from Ole Miss is starting to separate himself. Bryce Young is probably going to be at the head of that just because he's the quarterback for Alabama. And admittedly, he's putting up good stats. Um, If I see JT Daniels and Spencer Rattler in Heisman conversations anymore, I'm not even going to pay attention to you. The way Spencer Rattler has played, the fact that his own fans are calling for Caleb Williams, his backup, 
to play should be embarrassing. Uh, Desmond Ritter and then Anthony Brown from Oregon are getting some attention. But personally, and I know I'm biased because I'm a Penn State fan, the way Jahan Dotson plays the game and the way his season has gone, I don't know another skill position player who's more impactful in the game Great than Dotson. And let's not forget, no one was talking about Devontae Smith until the middle of last season. So I'm just going to leave that yeah. there. No, it's a great word for it. Impactful. <laughs> he, again, he's like, but he's like those wide receivers I mentioned. You want to put yourself in the category top 12, top 10 in the country. You have to be able to change the game in one play. And Jahad Dotson can do that. Let's go back to the offense. And I've asked this a million times. What is going on with the running game? This was sad. It was tough to watch. And, you know, we talked a little bit before the show here. You know, Franklin had mentioned that at halftime. He was okay with the being 3.8 yards yeah, per carry. Three, it half. was 3.8 at half. And just for the record, it ended at 2.4. So, so not uh, great. The, so the 3.8 for me would be good versus Iowa or good versus Indiana this week. Right. Not in a game where you should be able to run the football at will. You should easily be in that 5.8 to six yards per carry range. They're lucky John Lovett came in and made some nice runs. Otherwise, it would have been a lot worse. And I don't I don't mean to be negative here. I really don't. But this is the way it is. This is the way that I saw the game. The screen game is their run game right now. And at Mm -hmm. Penn State, that's that's a bit embarrassing. Right. Third and one. Third and two, you have to be able to run the football and get the first down if you want it. If you want to be an elite football team and you want to beat Indiana and Iowa and Ohio State and Michigan, you have to be able to run the football when you want to run the football. There was a third and two. They ran it. They got nothing. They barely got it when they went for the fourth down, Tom. There's absolutely no push from this offensive line in the run game. No one can sustain blocks. They, they can't even push enough to get to the second level at times, right? The tight ends who... I'll give credit where credit is due. These tight ends have done a fantastic job in the past game, right? They're really opening up Jahad Dotson on the outside. They're really giving Sean Clifford some outlets underneath. They're fantastic in the run, or excuse me, in the pass game. But they don't want they, they don't want to block in the run game. Tyler Warren whiffed so badly on one play. I'm forgetting when it was, but Matt Millen called it out and justifiably so. I, I don't know, like, I, I, I don't know if it's not uh, tough. Is that the right word? If it's not very well, tough it, football let me ask you, right because I, I think about these tight ends and they are physically amazing. Six, five, two fifty and up. You know, we talk about Theo Johnson running a four five forty. That's great. Are these guys in the model of Jesse James where these guys are just going to catch passes or are they more well-rounded or capable of being more well-rounded like a Pat Fryer move? I mean, if you want to run the football, they have to be. They have to block, right? I mean, that, that's with anything. If you're a wide receiver, you want to play, you got to be able to block. And, and now if you're Indiana, I would do everything I could as a defense to take away that wide receiver screen game. And I'm going to force you to run the football between the tackles. You know, it was tough. That was a game you should have been able to run the football all day. Yeah, it's something Matt Millen talked about ex- uh, extensively through the broadcast is that Penn State cannot move people off the ball. There was a great article on the score saying that this is a finesse offense that'll go as far as Mike Yersich and uh, Sean Clifford as a team will take them, which is a little concerning because you and I discussed it. And the thought after the Auburn game from a lot of Penn State fans is, man, why are these games so tight and stressful down the end? It's like, think about what we just did against Villanova and how unimpressive that felt. And the gauntlet that remains of the Big Ten schedule, just get used to that. 
because we're gonna have a lot more stressful Saturdays coming up. You have you have to want to run the ball, Tom. Like it's a want. It should be we're gonna run the football right now, and we're still gonna get yardage, right? Mm-hmm. You know we're running it. We know we're running it. Everybody in the stadium knows we're running the football. And guess what? You're not gonna be able to stop it. Good running football teams do that, and they just they don't have it right now. They need to find it. The odd thing, and you have praised the offensive line for this, is that the pass protection wasn't really that good. And I talked about the three sacks. So how is it possible that the offensive line fell asleep in both facets when this offensive line is built for pass protection? Yeah, it's tough, Tom. It really is. We just talked about the three sacks. Okay, I get it. Like, sacks are going to happen. They did give them a lot of time to throw the football down the field this week. Right? It was good in that sense. Pass protection was good. It's just you have to find the ability to sustain those blocks, Tom. Whatever it may be, there was a few miscommunications when Villanova brought some pressure. That needs to be cleaned up. But it's it's right. It's on this old line right now, right? You you need to find a way to contribute to this football team and to get better because you said it perfectly already, Tom. There's no more gimmies on this schedule. This is a tough schedule going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people are going to look at the schedule and say. Well, Illinois and Rutgers, and it's like, yeah, I mean, like Penn State should win those games. I agree with you. But the way Penn State is playing, it doesn't appear they're just going to blow the doors off somebody. So that's concerning. One thing I'm really concerned about is that our kicker is actually a punter. And when I say that, I mean that basically when Penn State gets to its own 40-yard line, they are basically going to go into four-down territory mode. That's what it seems like now through four games. And now this has been James Franklin's MO the entire time that he's been at Penn State. Frankly, he was doing this at Vanderbilt, and it drove me nuts as a fan watching it. But what it seems like to me is a complete lack of faith in Jordan Stout to kick field goals. Now, granted, his opportunity was a 54-yard field goal. That is asking a lot of a collegiate football kicker at the Division I level, and some people might be upset about that, but that's the truth. But there was a fourth down attempt on the 33-yard line of Villanova. So what does that tell you? That putting uh, Jordan Stout in a situation to kick a 50-yard field goal is out of the question. So if this offense is not going to go for it on fourth down, that means they have to have advanced the ball to potentially the 30-yard line of the opponent. So does that scare you, thinking that Franklin's just like, yeah, we're willing to give up massive chunks of field position between our 40 and the other team's 30. I think it depends on the game too, right? I mean, are you going to do that against Indiana? Are you going to do that against Iowa? I hope not. That's what I'm He's saying. He's done it against right? a lot of big-time opponents. That's yes, the scary part. It's all about situational for me. How are you playing? How is your defense playing? Is your opponent able to move the football? Are they scoring points? Do you feel like you can stop them if you get stopped? Right? I think you take all that into consideration. You just you have to have a good feel for the game, right? A good feel of where you're at in the game. There's nothing wrong with punting the football, Tom. I agree. Right? If if every drive ends in a kick, you're doing something right. And here's the mind-boggling thing is that according to the broadcasters, Jordan Stout is second in the country in punting average. That's great. That's wonderful. Jordan Stout's a great punter. He clearly isn't a great kicker. So what is wrong with Jake Pinniger? I don't know. I don't know. I, <laughs> it's I don't perplexing. Know. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's look, there's, there's a difference between being aggressive, right. And then just not playing smart football. Mm-hmm. 
And also, I mean, the less confidence you have in your kicker, the less confidence you have in your players, the less confidence they're going to have in themselves to go out Mm -hmm. there and perform when called upon. So, I mean, look, hopefully things change. You can't, I get it, it's Villanova, I get it. But you can't expect to continue to get away with poor decision-making when it comes to situational football against Tom Allen's Indiana, Kirk Ferentz's Iowa, and so forth. I'm curious to see how that goes. So I do want to ask you quickly about the defense against Villanova, and then we'll get into the Indiana game. But before we get to that, I have some exciting news because our podcast is partnering with PlayActionPools.com this season to bring some interactive fun to the sport we love most. You'll be able to get in on the action with our PlayActionPools.com Football Pick'em Challenge, which is open to everyone. Here's how it works. Sign up for our contest, Believe Football Pick'em at playactionpools.com, and then get your picks in each week. We're going to select the 10 highest profile games of the week between the NFL and college football. Whoever gets the most picks correct each week will win a pair of electric sunglasses and a pair of DC shoes. Again, go to playactionpools.com and sign up for the contest, Believe, that's B-L-E-A-V, Football Pick'em. And if you plan on hosting your own football contest, go to playactionpools.com today. They've got Survivor Pick'em as well as a cool sportsbook-style concept called Build Your Bankroll. Playactionpools.com, your new home for all your office sports pools. And also, all of us involved in the Pater podcast are proud supporters of FON, also known as the Penn State Dance Marathon. This past Saturday, in fact, was the Penn State Thon football game. Thon is a year-long effort dedicated to raising funds and awareness for its sole beneficiary, Four Diamonds at Penn State Health Children's Hospital. Thon is the largest student-run philanthropy in the world, committed to enhancing the lives of children and families impacted by childhood cancer. Four Diamonds picks up where insurance leaves off to relieve financial stress and provide emotional support so that no family ever has to see a medical bill. Since 1973, Thon has raised over $190 million in the fight against childhood cancer. And we invite you to join this fantastic community of Penn State students, alumni, and friends at the annual Thon 5K, powered by PNC. The event will take place on Sunday, October 10th. It's right around the corner. This year's theme for the event will be Illuminate the Journey, with both in-person and virtual races taking place. Last year, during the virtual THON 5K, powered by PNC, THON volunteers and supporters from across the country collectively ran over 57,000 miles in the fight against childhood cancer. To learn more about THON, the 5K event, or to donate, visit THON.org. That's T-H-O-N dot O-R-G. It's all for the kids. Make a difference in the life of a child today. Just a quick comment about Thon. A sincere thank you to the Thon 2022 Family Relations Director, Caroline Camp, joined us in a YouTube exclusive interview this past Friday. Encourage everybody listening or watching to check that out on our uh, YouTube exclusive channel. And we're very excited about everything Thon is building towards with Thon 2022. So back to the game, uh, the Penn State Thon football game, as a matter of fact, as I mentioned. The defense looked pretty good, and granted, it was Villanova. They should have looked good. The secondary was very, very sharp. A couple of assignments here and there, some mild lapses. Um, I'm looking at Joey Porter Jr., but for the most part, he had an excellent game. Tariq Castro-Fields was virtually locked down. Jair Brown comes up with a pick thanks to TCF, and then Jaquan Brisker, absolutely claim the soul of Daniel Smith 
on a hit, uh, which is fantastic. Yeah. That being the quarterback for Villanova. Perfect. That's teach tape. That, that uh, hit was teach tape. It was wonderful. Didn't yep. lead with the helmet. That's yep. exactly what they want in the sport. What was your takeaway from the defensive effort? From the Penn more State? I, the more I watch this defense, the the more I love this defense. Really, and but before I get into it, I love the fact that they're developing depth all over that place. Defensive line, linebackers, and the secondary. A lot of guys rolling in and out of that game. Wasn't a lack of production at all either. When you know those second uh, and, and and third team guys got into the game, so that's awesome to see. That's going to be big for this Penn State defense moving forward. Uh, they fly to the ball. You know, we're talking about big hits, that massive hit by Brandon Smith early in the game. His right pressure, his pressure in getting to the quarterback is fantastic, right? He understands where gaps are, how to wait, how to be patient, right? How to let that D-line and that offensive line start to develop for a second, and then he attacks. He had a few hurries in the games. You mentioned Joey Porter Jr., and really this whole secondary does a great job of seeing and reading and reacting fast, right? You can tell these guys really study film. They study the game. They understand what offenses are trying to accomplish, right? You know, where wide receivers are, where their splits are, understanding offensive tendencies. Secondary is fantastic. And we talked a lot about that front four trying to get pressure. Um, they, they brought five, six guys a lot in that game, Penn State. But what's big for this D-line, if they get one-on-ones, they have to win those. Mustafer did that. He had a nice sack. He's really starting to show up. And you mentioned Tariq Castro Fields. Great body control by him being able to get his right hand on that ball, Tom. And that mm. led to the Brown interception. And what was so impressive about that, a lot of times when you're, when you're a corner or you're a safety and you're reaching right for a ball to bat it down or to deflect it or whatever it may be, that offhand, that's what gets guys with uh, you know pass interference and holding and stuff like that because they tend to grab on and then reach with the one hand. He didn't do that at all. That hand didn't move. So to be able to get off the ground and 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 bat that pass down was fantastic. I mean, this guy's been tested a few times and he's delivered every single time. You can't. It's it's hard to throw his way because of how good he is. But what are you going to do? You're going to try to go at Joey Porter Jr. now who's getting better every single week. Yes. I mean, this is a fantastic secondary. Um, it's going to be a good matchup this week against Indiana. Obviously, I think Michael Penix Jr. is getting better and better, but we'll talk Indiana here in a minute. But two more things I want to mention about the defense. I want to see more of Epichetti. Yes. He had that nice sack, but I want them to start doing more to set him up. More games, more twists, more stunts up front. He's a big-time attack guy, so use him more Try to get him one-on-one. You go five-man pressure, right? Create five one-on-one matchups. Do something where, where he can go and move and, and try to make some more big plays for them. I'm sure you noticed this, Tom, but I think Villanova had a few chances at some deep, explosive passes down the field. They couldn't connect on a they couple did. of them. That, uh, Daniel and, Smith's a nice quarterback. Yeah, very experienced. Fourth quarter, they finally got that big touchdown play. But with this Indiana team, just secondary, Needs to just be careful. You got to stay on top. Mm-hmm. That's all. Because Indiana's going to try to take shots. Yeah. And you can forgive that in the fourth quarter because it is more backups playing and it's Villanova yep. starters. Yep. And those guys, that Villanova team was a little ticked off. You could tell the way they were motioning to the crowd. So there was something for the Wildcats to prove as their way out of Beaver Stadium. Defensively, uh, ultimately, Penn State held Villanova to 58 yards rushing. That's a 2.2 average. It's Fantastic on paper. Did it feel like the rushing defense was that stout to you? Uh, I think so. 
you know, I, I it's weird that you still feel that hesitance though, as a, as a viewer. Yeah. Cause you know, when you're, you're sitting here now and like, you know, you're, you're, you're looking back and thinking about the game and, you know, watching the game a lot of times, like in the run game, uh, you see a, just a swarm of blue jerseys, you know, you know what I mean? That, which is, mm-hmm. that's what you want to see in the run game guys flying to the ball, not a ton of separation between them, which means guys are just really attacking. They're really trying to push their offensive line and, you know, yeah, Villanova broke off a few nice runs. They, they they certainly did. But, you know, this team has been pretty good against the run. I think they take a lot of pride in that. You know, linebackers do a great job in that. So, yeah, 2.2 yards per carry. I did feel it. I did. But again, Villanova's a good football team. They're, they're, they're going to have some plays. Yeah, something to build on to the point you were making about getting pressure. Brent Pry week by week seems to be adding little wrinkles here and there. You mm-hmm. mentioned incorporating the linebackers, incorporating Jaquan Brisker, uh, using different guys to blitz the quarterback and just making it confusing. The stunts really seem to be beneficial. You understand the level of competition, but there seems to be growth just like there is on the offensive side of the ball. So things are trending in the right direction, but the real tests are about to get started. So Penn State begins the year 4-0. They finish September. They finish a nice home stretch this coming Saturday, hosting Indiana. It's another primetime game for Penn State, which is uh, kind of surprising to me, 7.30 p.m. Eastern on ABC. It's more of a rematch type of feel from last year that's probably being used for the promotion. I was curious that the Iowa game was scheduled for four o'clock the following week when you're potentially getting number five versus number six, but I don't schedule these ball games, so I'm not going to worry about it. What I'm thinking about is revenge. And I have been talking to you, Matt, as a fan about this for a number of weeks and months is that last year was embarrassing. If you're a Penn state football fan, and I hope for any member of the Penn state football staff and Penn state football players, and the most embarrassing events were two in my mind. One was the Maryland game, which, based on paper, the ability of Penn State that year, Penn State should have beaten Talia Tagovailoa and company. I remember being in my friend Josh's paradise in Pasadena, Maryland, watching that game, being flabbergasted as chicken wings are falling out of my hands. Like, what is going on? (laughs) The other game was Indiana. And now, granted, Penn State lost that game well before it went into overtime. But the Penix stretch which those folks out in Bloomington decided to make a delightful T-shirt about a guy, oh, by the way, putting the ball on the chalk out of bounds before he hit the pylon. So let's just back up. I want to say that the dude didn't score. However, (laughs) what's done is done. History is history. I don't hold a grudge. Excuse me. This is revenge. And hopefully Penn State mops the floor with Indiana However, based on what we've seen, that's not exactly the way this team is built. So what are you thinking coming to this game? Look, that I mean, that week one victory for Indiana set the tone for their whole season. Mm-hmm. Right. If they lost that game, I don't know if they do what they did. They go on that run. They make not just noise in the Big Ten, but throughout the country. That's the same position that they're in right now. If Indiana can win this game it changes the rest of the season for them. It really does. But when you look at this Indiana team right now and what's going on with them, turnovers have been a huge problem, which is very uncharacteristic of them. It's not, it's not the way they play football. You know, Michael Penix Jr. had three interceptions in an Iowa game, and a couple of them were, were tough breaks, right? Drop passes, deflected passes. But 
there's still turnovers. He had three interceptions in the Cincinnati game. There was a red zone interception. He threw it behind one of his wide receivers. He's made some, he's made some tough decisions. He's looked great this past weekend, but in those early weeks, you question just how healthy he was. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, is it's been he an issue starting, his entire career. Is he starting now after this past weekend to settle in and become that Michael Penix Jr. from 2020? Right. That's what should be scary this week for Penn State. Right. Is he finally starting to get back to 100 percent? Understand what it's like to kind of be back in that pocket, because when you're injured, Tom, you can't practice. Nobody can go near you. I understand he was back for training camp, but it's still you're still not like you're not back to full being mm-hmm. full go. You're right. So and it, clearly that's shown. But he's had a fantastic game this past weekend. You know, so you wonder if if he's really starting to get it now. Again, this is a tough time to play this Indiana football team. Indiana comes into the game two and two. They open up the season losing at Iowa 34 to six. Nothing wrong with that. Again, Iowa is currently ranked number five. They handle business against Idaho. They hung with Cincinnati, which is uh, it was a good game. Yeah, it was a good game at yeah. the time. Cincinnati was number seven. I'm not sure uh, the rankings haven't come out yet. I'm not exactly sure where they are right now, but they'll probably uh, remain where they are. And then they beat Western Kentucky in a relative nail biter, 33-31. The thing we know about Indiana and Tom Allen, this is a gritty, tough football team, and they can hit their stride at any time. My question with Michael Penix Jr. is that his completion percentage is under 50%. He has more interceptions than touchdowns. I'm not saying that anybody in Bloomington is thinking about pulling this guy, but in the event that he gets injured, are you worried about the shift in the offense? Because Jack Tuttle has played some meaningful snaps and is more of a traditional drop-back passer for Indiana. Is that more of a threat to this Penn State defense, or is Michael Penix really capable of hurting the Nittany Lions? It's, it's Michael Penix Jr., right? I mean, okay. he is that team. He is that offense. And, you know, anytime he takes the field, it's scary because you know what he's capable of doing as a quarterback if he catches fire. Right. If he gets into a groove, look what he did last year against Penn State late in the game. Right. What he's done at times this year. Right. He's just he's searching for that consistency right now. Again, the injury didn't help. But again, this being the fifth game now, I think the, I think he's they threw about 53 times on Saturday, mm-hmm. I think, you know, and he had a fantastic day. Didn't turn it over. He had a, he had a you know rushing touchdown there at the goal line. He looked a lot more comfortable than he had in weeks past. You mentioned Tom Allen. Wouldn't matter if they're four and zero, two and two, or zero and four. They're going to be ready for this game because they know what it means for them. And I just for the reason that I just talked about, it changes your whole entire season. People forget about the games you lost if you win this one, right? It changes your team completely, Tom. Some of the weapons for the Hoosiers, their running back Stephen Carr is had a nice season so far. He's averaging about four yards a carry, 336 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, you talked about earlier on in this podcast, Ty Freifogel is one of the best wide receivers mm-hmm. in the Big Ten, uh, if not the country. Their tight end, Hendershot, is also somebody who is probably going to be playing ball on Sundays at yeah. some point. How daunting are these threats offensively for Michael Penix to have at his disposal? Right. They're really starting to use those guys a lot more, especially Peyton Hendershot. And, you know, and for as much as they want to throw the football, Stephen Carr is going to get the ball 20 to 25 times a game. Right. They want to pound the rock, too. And they're going to try to wear you down with him. Hendershot's coming off a big game last week, his biggest game of the season. Freifogel had 10 catches for 98 yards and one of the better wide receivers in the Big Ten. He's been there for a long time. And, you know, Penix Jr. has a great relationship with both of those guys. 
DJ Matthews is a guy, wide receiver, who's come on really strong for them. Another guy who really hasn't hit his stride yet, has made some big plays last year, but hasn't really shown up yet is um, uh, Miles Marshall, wide receiver. So a lot of weapons on this football team. You know, again, this is a big play type offense. Penn State needs to stay on their toes, especially in the secondary. Yeah, very similar to what Penn State does. That Penn State has become a big play type of offense and has become yep. reliant on the passing game. So very similar offenses. On defense, mm-hmm. what makes you intrigued by some of these defensive players or the Hoosiers? Two guys you really need to watch for. Number 10, Ryder Anderson, 6'6", 275, defensive end transfer from Ole Miss. This is the matchup for me. He's going to be very tough to block. You know, these offensive tackles are going to have their work cut out for them this week. He's got three sacks. He had a massive hit in a forced fumble in that Cincinnati game. Micah McFadden picked it up almost was a scoop and score. Indiana was able to score on that drive. But, you know, I mentioned just mentioned McFadden, monster game against Penn State last year. 11 tackles. He's played a lot of football. Four-year starter for this Indiana football team. 12 tackles this past weekend. He's got a couple forced fumbles, a couple sacks. So those guys really drive that front seven, Tom. And number three there in the secondary, I got to mention him, Taiwan Mullen. He's a big tackler for them. He's going to come up and make plays. Need to be careful throwing his way. He's got a few passes defended. So no shortage of talent on that defensive side of the ball for Indiana. It's, it, it's been really the strong point of their team. Tom Allen, that defense, take a lot of pride in stopping teams. And defensively for Penn State, in their two biggest wins of the year, Wisconsin and Auburn, the things that are really encouraging, I know we nitpick every one of these games, and you and I have a tendency, even in wins, to be like, the sky is falling. But it's like, no, like these are, <laughs> we're, we, we're very optimistic ultimately about this game. I promise. I, I do expect Penn State to win this game. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a respect thing. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's just, yeah. It's a respect thing. It really 100%. is. Like, I mean, this team's coming to town. Everybody wants to win. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right? And it doesn't, nobody cares what your record is. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter. You don't go into a game thinking you're going to lose. You don't go into a game thinking, eh, you know, this is going to happen or that's going to happen. You just, you go play, right? I mean, you know what I mean? It's, and it's college football. Anything can happen. Yeah. You right? play yeah. to win the game. These are, and it's our job, Tom, to, <laughs> yep. the, these are our concerns. Here's where, here's where they're good. Here's where they need to get better. Here's where they need mm-hmm. to watch for, because guess what? This team has talent too. This team has weapons too. And again, to the point I was making is that the defense for Penn State has been bend but not break, especially against Wisconsin and Auburn. They made the plays when they had to and have been able to help Penn State finish ball games. There are plenty of teams across the country, and I'm sure you've been in plenty of locker rooms at different levels of football where the word finish is used over and over and over again. And that just doesn't seem like a massive concern for this defense, at least. And yes, people are going to be like, well, Auburn came down to the last play. It's like, yeah, Penn State finished the job and they got the win. That's the important part. You would like to see them win going away. But I think we've all realized at this point, Penn State is okay being in slugfests and dogfights for the rest of the season. And frankly, that's what we're going to get. Um, do you believe it's a similar tight type of matchup in terms of, I don't know what the spread is, but this feels like it could be pretty tight on the scoreboard. Are you thinking a trap game? I was about to ask you that because next week, if Iowa and Penn State remain undefeated, I doubt they'll really move much in the rankings unless Oregon or Oklahoma or Alabama or um, uh, Georgia you know, falter. The top six are going to remain the same. So do you look ahead to Kinnick? I don't think you can. And 
it should. Beca- it's because of how you started, you know, talking about Indiana. You know, this revenge game that Penn State has 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 been looking forward to. It it's a trap game if you let it become one. Right, Tom. This is the week where inside that locker room you have the newspaper clippings hanging up in your locker. You're talking about how last year was a fluke, saying it shouldn't have happened. He was out of bounds. You use it as motivation, but you don't let it affect your preparation or your focus, right? Don't let it affect what you're doing every single day. Don't let it affect your schedule. For it to not be a trap game, you you can't go in thinking that this Indiana team is down because they aren't. It can't happen, right? They have been tested. They played some of the best teams in the country, Iowa, Cincinnati. They know what it's like to be in a dogfight. James Franklin, after the win against Villanova, said there was a lot they were going to look at. They were going to look the quote-unquote leftovers and then clear out the fridge after the victory against the Wildcats. Uh, Personally, I hope they throw the kitchen sink at Indiana uh, to make the analogy. So very curious to see how this game goes down. Uh, What's your prediction? (laughs) You have predictions, man. You know, you put me in a a tough spot all the time. We're in the entertainment business, baby. Let's do it. Uh, It depends on Michael Penix Jr. If he can throw it and he doesn't turn it over, Penn State is going to have to finish. They, they should win this football game. There's no reason they should lose this football game, Tom. They have to continue to keep their foot on the gas at times against Villanova. I think they let off the gas a little bit. Looked like they were just trying to get the game over with, right? Can't do that in this game. The way this team plays, the way they battled, the way they were able to throw the football, two-score lead, whatever, 14, 17 points, whatever it may be, isn't good enough against Indiana. You really need to continue to drive the ball down the field, get stops on the defense. If Clifford can continue playing the way he's been playing, I I mean, I could see Penn State winning by 10, you know, 14, something like that. It shouldn't, Mm -hmm. it'll be close, but second half, they should, they should be able to pull away. Here's hoping the offensive line does a good job keeping Sean upright and keeping him healthy because I might be one of the few fans worried about it, but the season hinges on the health and availability of Sean Clifford, which has been good thus far, but you do see the taped up right arm. Hopefully the guy's okay. So we'll we'll see how the season goes. So uh, as of the time that we're recording this, uh, Penn state is set to host Indiana this Saturday, October 2nd at 7 30 PM Eastern prime time on ABC. Uh, If you're going to the game in state college, I believe it's a stripe out, which is a pretty cool. You you got the white out and then you got the stripe out. It's a nice, it's a nice little difference. Yeah. Have you ever been, have you ever attended a whiteout or a stripe out as a fan? Uh, no. Oh, <laughs> dude, you got to I think the only, uh, stripe out. I was ever, we played at Iowa 2012. They did a stripe out black, yellow, right. black, black, yellow, around Bumblebee the stadium, pattern. Yeah. Which was awesome, man. That was a great atmosphere. Uh, but I played in a bunch of whiteout games, you know, I don't know. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's different, man, when you play in it and then, yeah, you know, going to the game, it's just, I don't know, it doesn't feel right. It's different. I, I, I don't understand, but I understand. So, thank you all for joining us for this edition of Pater. Enjoy the game. We'll see how Penn State does against the Hoosiers. He's Matt McGloin. I'm Tom Hannifin. Easy for me to say. I'll see you next time on Pater. Oh, Pater, Pater. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. 
Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.